This, this is the Blue Horseshoe with your host, George Brummer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome into the Blue Horseshoe podcast. Ryan Hickey, George Bremer with you. Joint practices between the Lions and the Colts have concluded. They're on Wednesday and Thursday. And George, we were joking the last podcast. I'm looking at you right now in video. No bruises, no black eyes, no scrapes. Either you took my advice, put the helmet on, or you were staying far, far, far away from any sort of potential danger. I'm, I'm glad you made it out alive. Dan Kimball didn't try to bite any neat cops off and you were sitting here fully fine after two full days of joint practices. Yeah, no danger out there. It was really, you know, an interesting because I think we kind of all expected it to be a really physical session. And it was. Both days were really physical. They were intense practices, but uh, there were only really two fights. They were both brief skirmishes. Uh, Michael Pittman was involved in one, so we just got that. Uh, but, you know, it, there wasn't anything... Uh, egregious. There, it wasn't one of these uh, practices, you know, one of these joint sessions where it disrupted practice, you know, it, really good work from both teams. And I think I know Frank Reich said afterwards he was really excited because he felt like they got everything they needed to get and both teams were really professional doing it. I know it's, you know, we kind of joke about, it. I think our, our fight count was five and a half, but you're right. It is good to see because mm-hmm. you see Panthers and Patriots joint practices, and that's basically one scrum after another. So, right, fighting aside, it is nice to see that you actually get some good work and actually use these two days that coaches love to deem, you know, some of the most important practices of the training camp. Actually, to have them, you know, use them to uh, to your benefit. So, speaking of which, George, right, it's every year. I don't know about you. For me, I am one to always overreact, get wrapped up in the moment. Every year coming into training camp, I always tell myself, I'm not going to overreact. Preseason games, training camp, joint practices, we're just going to take with the grain of salt and wait till week number one comes. This is clearly, right, the, some of the most important practices the Colts will have in training camp before week number one. I am not going to overreact to either the positives that came out of these last two days or the negatives. We'll get into both sides of that. How about yourself, though? Because Again, you you know you see the the uh, the plays going on. You, you kind of see what is going to be the closest thing to game action. Are you someone that's going to really take kind of what you see the last two days and have it be you know meaningful, or is it kind of eh, okay? That's a nice footnote going for week number one. Yeah, it's kind of hard, you know, because I think you you talk to the players all the time, and they're always talking about levels of the NFL. Like you come in and you get drafted, and you go through OTAs, and that's one thing. You're going at one speed. There's one level of intensity. Training camp starts, it goes up a little bit, preseason games, then into the regular season. Everything's a step up, but it feels like this is kind of an in-between step. It's not really a full preseason game, uh, but it's also not a regular practice. In some ways, it's more intense than a preseason game because they're doing a little bit more. You're showing a little bit more, uh, but at the end of the day, you're still, no one's keeping score out there today. There was no, you know, there weren't cheerleaders. There were a lot of fans, but it's not a game atmosphere. You know what I mean? So it's hard. It's really hard to put it, I think, into perspective. Uh, to me, it, it's you look at situations, and I think that's what they were doing anyway. I think one of the big benefits of these practices over regular, over preseason games is that you can set up exactly what you want to set up. For instance, Frank Reich declined a, a third down pass interference penalty today because he wanted the team to face a fourth down. Obviously, he's not going to do that in a game, uh, but you can do it out here because it doesn't really matter. So you got to take it all you know, take it all within that context. But at the end of the day, I mean, the passing game got into a rhythm, which we really hadn't seen much in in training camp. I think that was a good sign. Uh, The running game had its moments today, but I think the biggest, um, the biggest takeaway from both days, the offense was unable to finish today. They didn't, they did a two minute drill at the end, neither first or second team got a first down and they weren't able to score on the ground in the red zone. So 
Um, you know, do you panic about that? I don't know. I, I like your kind of take on that too, because I'm not sure, you know, where do you place that in, in importance? I'm glad you brought the red zone too, because I think that's an area that, you know, is going to be crucial for the Colts this year. And like you said, on Wednesday, Colts had a really, really good red zone camp or, or session. I should say Thursday, they struggled. And when you look to, you look at last year and, and part of the reason that led to the Colts eventual collapse and just missing the playoffs outright after they were basically guaranteed a playoff spot was, you know, the red zone efficiency or lack thereof. Like you look where the Colts finished last year in terms of red zone percentage of scoring uh, or the percentage of times they were in the red zone scored a touchdown. They were just 19th in the NFL last year. And you look at a lot of the playoff teams, they're punching in, you know, touchdowns when they get into the red zone about 60% of the time. Colts are at 56% last year. So not far off per se from, you know, some of the playoff contenders, but you look at a team like the Titans, right? The, the team, the Colts are changing right now the most to, to get the division. They were ninth last year in terms of touchdown percentage in the red zone. And that's an area you really hope with Matt Ryan coming on in, he'll be able to improve more than Carson Wentz did and elevate that 56% number to get to a 60% range to give yourself a better chance to win the division and get to the playoffs and playing meaningful football. So I will say that that's an area I'm definitely looking at more. I'm not going to get too high after Wednesday's really good performance or get too low after Thursday's struggles, but that is definitely something to circle now going forward is red zone efficiency. Can they be punching in touchdowns, not field goals? That's going to be something huge for this team, you know, going forward and going to be a big difference between wins and uh, wins and losses. I mean, to your point, they were two and five last year in one score games. And how many of those games do you go back? And if you finish a drive here or a drive there, you win the game. Uh, and obviously you miss the playoffs by one game. So any of those three losses, you flip in the red zone and, and you score touchdowns. It's a totally different situation. And, and I think um, today, the, the interest between the two days is it was pass heavy on Wednesday. And that's where Matt Ryan's obviously going to make the biggest difference. And the Colts looked outstanding. They, they were almost unstoppable down there today. It was run heavy. And the running game is one of the, the hardest things to, to really judge out here. I mean, Jonathan Taylor last year had more yards after scrimmage than anybody else had, or more yards after contact than anybody else had from scrimmage. So when was he down? You know, they're going to blow the whistle out here and you don't know what he had broken that. It, you can't get into those kind of conversations. Um, they did have two live snaps at the end of each red zone drill with the first team and the second team. On the first team drill, Deion Jackson fumbled the ball, so you don't know what was going to happen there. It was recovered by Aiden Hutchinson, and the Lions win that rep. On the second one, Devontae Price was stopped at the one. But again, you know, in, in November, December, when they're trying to win games, those two guys are probably not going to be carrying the ball in that situation. So I, I don't know. I mean, I want to see some more push from the line, I feel like, in general. They had moments today where they, where they did a really good job. They broke about a 30-yard run with Taylor at one point. Uh, where there was a clear hole and a couple of the backup guys had some good gains too. But that's something that, like you said, going forward, that's the difference between nine and eight and 11 and six. I mean, it really is. Can you finish in the red zone? And uh, it, that remains to be seen. I'm glad you talked about the run game and versus the pass game. Let's talk about that for a little bit with the offensive line. Like I said, until we get to week one, it's going to be truly impossible to evaluate their run blocking, you know, how great they can be compared to, you know, what they're showing right now. But when you really think about it, right, you're going to have a 37-year-old quarterback in Matt Ryan who's not as mobile, not as fleet of foot as even Carson Wentz was last year. So I think off the surface, you ask any fans, they'd say, well, of course you want your pass blocking of the five offensive linemen to be better than the run blocking. I would argue, George, this year, even coming off of what they did last year with John Taylor having that in tremendous season, 
run blocking for this offensive line, even with two new pieces, is going to be way more important and lead to way more success for this offense in large part because if we saw last year the biggest Achilles heel for the Colts, especially down the stretch, was not running the ball, was not getting a push on the offensive line. It was Carson Wentz making the big throws when he had to make them. Now you bring in Matt Ryan, and you think if they're able to run the ball, similar clip as they were last year. We won't put expectations on Jonathan Taylor to surpass the tremendous season last year, but if they run even slightly below 90% of what they did last year, well, Matt Ryan, right? What do we know about Matt Ryan? There's two things. Number one, he's one of the best flashing quarterbacks in the NFL, right? You look, look at his MVP season. I know it was five years ago in 2016, but that play action scheme with when he actually had a really good team around him, he was one of the best quarterbacks that year off play action. Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator. We know, you know, he likes to run a lot of play action schemes in San Francisco. So you think, all right, Matt Ryan, that's something he can have a lot of success with having the defenses, you know, suck in and try to stop John and the Taylor. And you can, you know, uh, push the ball deep, which is Matt Ryan is one of the still, still one of the best deep throwers this game has to offer. But also, too, what did you hear all offseason, George, from coaches and from players? The difference between Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz was what? Matt Ryan makes the layups, right? He, he takes what's there, whether it's a seven-yard slant, whether it's a dump off in the flat. So now, especially when, you know, when you have defenses trying to sell out the way they should, if Jonathan Taylor is having another, you know, equal year in 2022 like he did in 2021, all of a sudden, that you know, pitch to the flat to Naeem Hines or Jonathan Taylor is going to be open for 10, 15 yards. You break a tackle, who knows? It could be a 60-yard touchdown. We saw last year, Carson Wentz, a lot of it was kind of home run or nothing, right? He, he was going to go deep, and if he was covered, still going to throw it up there. Sometimes you got a big play and got a touchdown. Other times, it was broken up, intercepting. Those are two areas I look at where it's so important for this offensive line, especially to establish the run, even though you have a new left tackle, right, and you think that's an important part of, of pass blocking to keep Matt Ryan upright, who's not going to move around the pocket a lot. But if they're able to establish the run, and even if their pass blocking is pretty good, not great, I just still think that's enough for this offense to be a lot better than they were last year. Yeah, I mean, to those points, you never really saw the offense get in a rhythm last year. Like you're talking about all or nothing, you know, it was home run or bust. When they had good drives, they, they were very seldom 12-play, 90-yard marches, even 75-yard marches. It was one big play that, that put them in position, whether that was a big uh, pass interference early in the year. They got a lot of that. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it was a big play to, to Michael Pittman or whether it was Jonathan Taylor breaking off a, a big run, you rarely saw them take those chunks all the way down the field. That I feel like that kind of demoralizes a defense. Not that they love giving up the big plays, but you can go back and look at that and say, hey, this this – coverage was busted if we get here we can clean that up when the other team just seems to do whatever they want to do and go right down on the field on you you know that wears on you especially if it happens uh drive after drive after drive that you never saw that from the Colts offense last year and I think that's something you feel like is is is, is a possibility with this group um and I think that run game I went back through Matt Ryan's career he I think only twice in 14 years has he had a top five run game supporting him when he was a rookie and, and they made the playoffs with a rookie quarterback, and we all know how hard that is to do. And then in 2016, when they went to the Super Bowl, and he was the MVP. So you feel like if they have a top-five running game, which I think would be the baseline expectation for this team this year, um, you're, you're going to get a really good version of Matt Ryan as a result of that. The play action, you're already seeing it. Obviously, the run game's different here. We've already mentioned that. But defenses still have to react to it accordingly. And there were times even today where they came up because of that fake and Michael Pittman's open over the middle, and, and then his ability to run after the catch, I think that's something that's going to be a big difference with this team this year. Uh, you saw him last year on those plays like you are talking about, a lot of jump balls down the field, you know, make the catch, and then it's a 50-yard gain or whatever. 
I think you're going to see a lot more this year of him catching the ball in stride, breaking a tackle, and then running for a while. And he's an angry runner now. His dad was a running back in the NFL, and you see that at times in him. You don't say that about receivers very often, but Michael Pittman is an angry runner, and I think that's going to affect things too. The more Jonathan Taylor can do, the more push the offensive line gives him, the more that's going to open up everything else for this offense. And to him, you know, the theme of these training camps so far, especially on the offensive end, is the questions about, you know, the wide receivers, especially that's going to give them such a needed boost and make their job so much easier when you do have seven, eight. I mean, last year we saw sometimes nine guys in the box selling out to stop Jonathan Taylor. Now, all of a sudden, a five yard slant to your point, uh, George. Forget it, you know, Michael Pippen breaks one tackle and he's gone. Alec Pierce can, you know, get in a foot race or Paris Campbell can catch the ball and, you know, stay healthy on the field. That's a burner. You know, th that's the the exciting part of this offense is they really do complement each other really well. Now it's just about execution. And as we've seen, sometimes it's the quarterback, sometimes it's injuries, but that's really been the one area the Colts have been lacking these last few years is truly executing when it counts. Yeah, and, that, and it all goes back to the red zone. We were talking about that right. earlier. It all goes back to, to – it all works hand in hand. You've got to finish drives, whatever that takes. You know, does that mean not dropping a pass? Does it mean breaking a tackle? Does it mean getting that block? That's going to be the critical – I think the critical thing for this team that, that's going to determine how this offense fares. You know, it's great. Today was one of those days at practice where they kind of moved the ball great between the 20s and then it broke down – in the red zone. And obviously if that happens in a game, it's not going to go well for you. So uh, it, it's really all about the details. And I think that's what you're getting at there. You know, it, it's about making sure you're doing the little things right. So that one area of the, of the offense can complement another area on paper. It looks great. But and I think that's the theme of this training camp so far has been that this team's extremely confident. They have high energy. They have high expectations but they also are a little bit scarred by what happened at the end of last year. I mean, we've talked about it already, you know, in our brief time on the podcast. That's one of the worst losses in, in NFL history. When you look at what was on the line and, and who the opponent was, uh, it, and it's going to leave a mark. And I think one of the things it's done in a positive fashion is this team is talking about talk is cheap. You know, I think they really they know it. They had seven pro bowlers last year and they were watching the playoffs from home. And they understand you've got to take care of these these things that we're talking about, these little details, so that doesn't happen again. It's a good point because I feel like now the last few years, especially with this Colts, and now we've seen this young, kind of young core be together for three, four years, I feel like there is a, always a lot of optimism, always a lot of high expectations for the Colts going into a year. And we have seen them, you know, out really outside of 2020, fall short a lot of those expectations. 2019, obviously, is a whole different, you know, a uh, whole different shebang there. But I do like that point where this is the first time in a long time where the Colts truly are licking their wounds and have a reason to be pissed off. Like, you know, even when Andrew Luck comes back in 2018, you don't really know, you know, what to expect. And there's that joy of, oh, Andrew's back. Then he retires suddenly. All the, you know, the joy kind of deflates. Then Philip Rivers comes in, nice 2020 season. Now, you know, he leaves. Carson Wentz comes in, there's still optimism. This is the first time in a long time, George, where the Colts truly enter training camp with a bitter taste in their mouth with some fire under them, with a little sense of urgency. And I really do hope that's going to be a big difference here come week one, because how long have we talked about their struggles early on in the season, especially under Frank Reich. They never get off to a good start. Maybe that could be, you know, the deciding factor between a one and four start or a four and two start. Like, you know, we've rarely seen so far, especially in the Frank Reich era. 
The irony is the one year they get off to a good start is the year they have a losing record. They can't finish that year uh, with Jacoby Reset. And so it's it's been that kind of odd, you know, good nine-game stretch and a bad nine-game stretch. You haven't been able to put together anything, you know, consistent throughout the year. And so uh, I think that that's the other big thing they've talked about. I and mean, it's interesting you brought that up, Ryan, because the other big thing they've talked about is we've got to win the opener. And then you right. hear that from every player out there because it hasn't happened since 2013, which is ridiculous. I mean, that's one of the, the craziest stats probably right now in the league. This is a team with the fourth most wins in, in the NFL since 2000, and they haven't won in week one since 2013. Uh, you you got to take care of that. And the other big thing to me that they haven't talked about as much, but it goes hand in hand with that, is winning the division games. I mean, it, when Andrew Luck was here and they were winning the division, they were going – you know, five and one, six and zero against the division regularly. Four and two was a bad year. Now it's three and three, two and four. You're never going to be able to overcome that, you know. And and it, that starts with the Titans. I mean, I know we're going to get into this a little bit more later, but I think they're one and four against the Titans, one and three against the Titans in the last two years. You you're not going to win the division doing that, you know. If you don't go out, you can't drop games to Jacksonville down there that that you shouldn't be losing. And you can't lose head-to-head battles with with Tennessee. That's where the season's determined. You know, you got to win your division first and everything else takes care of itself. Hot start, play well in the division. I think those are two of the biggest keys for the team this year. And the schedule does benefit the Colts in a sense of you get two division games right away. Again, you you would think, history aside, you get a soft opener with the Texans. Then you go to the House of Horrors in Jacksonville week number two. Again, for the normal fan outside of the Colts, you look at those two games, oh, it's not important. They should be 2-0, no big deal. It is, it's crazy to kind of think, but where this Colts team has gone up to the slow start and just the importance of kind of, like you said, getting off to a hot southern division at uh, Houston, at Jacksonville, that's a major, major start to the season. We can kind of truly see, even though it's against two bad teams that you are clearly better than and should win those games nine times out of ten, though that's going to be a great you know, opener and first two games to truly see how this Colts team measures up to where they were in the past. It's not, you know, it almost sounds counterintuitive, but that's the reality. No, and I think it's a great opening stretch because of that, because you're going to have that that 2013 thing hanging over your head in, in week one. Can you get that monkey off your back and then go down to Jacksonville? As you said, it's been the house of horrors for them. They haven't won there since 2014. You know, can you go in and, and take care of those two things uh, and get rid of the two, I don't want to call them curses, but, you know, two slumps that you've had that don't make a lot of sense right off the bat. You can change some of the energy change some of the talk around the team and and win two critical division games uh to me they've got to be two and oh if they're anything less than two and oh it's not a good start to the season couldn't agree more couldn't agree more let's wrap up at least for the joint practices on the offensive end unfortunately you know injuries always a key part of training camp the colts did suffer their first big blow uh at least you know an actual practice with drew ogletree going down torn acl a huge blow for what has been a guy as a rookie coming in, really making a name for himself, really playing his way into the lineup here. I found it really interesting on Wednesday, especially George, when Ogletree does go down, you know, before the, the team period. And you see Matt Ryan after that in the red zone, three touchdowns to three receivers. You would think going in the tight ends in the red zone are especially where you will kind of, uh, or have themselves make their hay with the size of Molly Cox and the size of, of Ogletree at the time. And now Jelani Woods, you would think the red zone, when you have six, five guys and taller, that is going to be where they truly, you know, butter their bread. But instead, it's Pittman, it's Pierce, 
it's it's Ashton Doolin. You know, the receivers are the ones making the touchdowns here. Have you seen, especially in the first um, the first joint practice on Wednesday, is that going to now be a trend where maybe the tight ends in the red zone aren't going to be as important as maybe we think they are on paper? Yeah, it's hard to say, really, because you don't know exactly what they're working on and, and what they were doing. And especially on Wednesday, you don't know how big a plan Ogletree was, you know, going into that, how much did things change after the injury. So did they have to switch it up? Uh, but I, I think that one thing there is that they can help without even catching the ball. I mean, you get Mo Ali Cox out there. He's going to draw a lot of attention because he's a huge man. Jelani Woods is the same way. The receivers aren't midgets either, though. I think Pierce is 6'2 or 6'3 and uh, Michael Pittman 6'4. So, you know, I think they feel like they've got good size across the board there. I think Ashton Doolin's 6'1-ish in that neighborhood. So, you know, they're, they're big guys. I, I think that's something they like across the board, having those that size and being able to throw jump balls in the end zone. And the biggest thing from that first period was, you know, first of all, Matt Ryan put the ball where it needed to be, but you expect that from him. These guys were going up and making plays on the ball, and that's that's big. You know, I think when you can go up and and, and, and win those 50-50 battles, that's how you improve that red zone percentage. You know Jonathan Taylor is going to be Jonathan Taylor, and he's going to, you know, ram that ball in as, as often as he can. But when you've got aggressive play from from big guys like Woods and Pittman and, and Pierce and uh, Mo Ali cox it can, it can make a big difference. It's great to see at least so far again some you know real action here outside just a preseason game with those two joint practices with Detroit. When we return here on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast, it's an annual tradition. Jim Mersey did it again. The yearly declaration will tell you what the Colts owner had to say about his expectations for the 2022 season when we return. 